Well, kids are in trouble. Not you kids specifically, but kids in general are in trouble today. Society recognizes it. Government recognizes it. Agency after agency, layer upon layer of organizations and efforts have been added through the years and continue to grow every year. Billions of dollars being spent for children at risk and families at risk. Kids with problems have been identified, targeted for help emotionally and psychologically and educationally, nutritionally, medically, and any other kind of branch from those concerns, there have been many, many efforts. And indeed, there are a lot of kids who are at risk. Not always entirely their fault. Some have been born into an environment that places them in enormous stress with great temptation. But the one thing that is most needed in their lives, the one thing that's most necessary to save them, from so many troubles, the one thing that they really are in most dire need of, society would never fathom advocating for. The one thing that's most needed is obedience to their parents. That's the one thing at least that God's Word describes, or prescribes, I should say, as the one single greatest need for children. The one ingredient that leads to the health of a child, the one thing that so many Groups have in fact dedicated themselves to freeing children from. The need to rescue them from their parents and from parental authority. The need to extract them from the burden of the home that they're in in order to uh, bring them out from the necessity of being asked to obey the onerous demands of some antiquated rules. They need to be educated as to their own rights and and stirred in their courage to recognize the faults and the, and the useless standards and ethics that their parents might espouse. One group writes on their website, quote, Children must be allowed to pursue their own purposes in the way that most adults do now. Libertarians believe that children should be allowed to go to work, earn money by the work they do, and spend the money the way they like. They should be allowed to own their own property, go in debt and into business. They should have the right to live and to travel wherever they can afford to. In a word, they should be free. Free to drag coal along a mine shaft, free to, free to sweep soot out of a chimney, or act in a pornographic film, if that's what they judge to be in their interest. End quote. That's really nothing more than an extreme expression of what all the other groups around them or many of the other groups around them, implicitly believe. This, this is really, this is where child advocacy so many times turns. Turning to free them so that they can be their own person. The Bible offers a different alternative, though. A different answer to a child's problem. In a word, it is obedience. Or we might say honor. They need to honor and obey their parents. Because the alternative, at least from a biblical standpoint, the alternative is the inevitable destruction of the child. Proverbs chapter 30, you can see sort of a description of this. A description of the child who doesn't obey. 
It is really a compendium of wise sayings on the family and on children in general. But it gives these insightful comments of the child who doesn't respond to all the admonitions that have been given to him or her throughout the book of Proverbs, doesn't listen to his father, doesn't heed the voice of his mother. It says in Proverbs 30, 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Now this describes the child, this describes the generation that is rebellious against their parents. They've got their own wisdom. They've got their own approach to life's problems. They, they're clean in their own eyes. They've got all the wisdom, all the answers. You're not going to tell them anything. You're not going to tell them how to live. They are self-centered. They are proud, rebellious children who listen to nothing that their parents tell them. It goes on in the next verse, 13, to speak of their haughty attitude, their lofty eyes, which they follow. And in verse 14, how they devour those who are around them, burdening them. Ultimately, they become a sort of burden not only on their friends, but on society. Devouring resources. And then in verse 15, he strings together these graphic images to speak of the leeching influence of these children. He says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four Never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land is never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. And he compares these children to these kind of ongoing, continual, needy, uh, or resource-draining things. The eye, he says, that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That last image symbolizing an unburied carcass left alone when he dies because his rebellious attitude and haughty spirit have devastated every meaningful and substantial relationship in his life. He's burned every bridge. He's ruined every relationship. This is the rebellious child. This is the disrespectful child. This is the ungrateful child. And yet he's the leeching child. No matter what you give him, no matter what you give him, he never has enough. And you may think that as a parent that somehow you're going to buy his loyalty. You're going to woo him by casting more and more at him financially from a support standpoint. But the, the, the scripture is telling you he will never be satisfied. He'll always come back with more demands, more demands, and no more respect. No more loyalty. Look, the answer to avoid all this, the best enterprise that you can engage in with your children is to teach them to obey. It's one of the most demanding things that you'll do. It's also one of the best things you'll ever do for your children just to simply teach them to obey. It's better than any educational uh, uh, foundation you can give them, any kind of degree you can push them into is better than any kind of career you'll ever set them on to simply teach them to obey. I remember when I was in seminary, standing in the library and having another student talking about how he was going to teach, he had a newborn baby, he was going to teach him to read Greek by the time he was four. And I remember the librarian, a godly old lady, just said, 
She said, honey, just teach him to obey. <laughs> That's really the message that we need to get. I mean, before you give them all the other stuff, before you set them on some path of success that you've determined by all the, all the things that you're going to push them into, their sports career, their educational uh, pursuits, all their uh, Olympiads or whatever it might be, teach them to obey. It's the most fundamental answer to the most fundamental problem of every child. Strikes right at the heart of where so many of their problems come from. This takes us to Ephesians chapter 5 and our continued study of God's design for families. You remember we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks, how God has specific designs for wives and for husbands. And we come to chapter 6 now and we get into another category of the Christian family as Paul begins to expound for us what is God's design for children. And he gives it to us in very straightforward, very simple tones as the rest of the Bible does. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward commandments. I think we could approach this from four perspectives, four perspectives that help us understand God's design for children and for families. First of all, as you read these commandments, we need to realize that this incorporates everyone. That this, that this commandment really incorporates everyone. If you, in other words, if you have a parent here this morning... Or if you are a child of a parent, this speaks to you. Which, of course, includes all of us. This, this, is, this is normally something we read and we think, well, yeah, tell it to the kids. This is what they, if they can just start obeying at home, our problems will be taken care of. This is what God demands. Certainly, that's true of every child. God wants every child to obey, no matter how young they are, this is one of the first things that you ought to be teaching to your children. I know in our home, it's one of the verses that's most often repeated. Certainly, at, at a very basic level, this is indeed what God's design is for every small child. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't use a word here to designate small children. He could have. There are several words in Greek, brephos, is a word that simply refers to an infant, sometimes even an embryo, one of the youngest stages of life. There's the word uh, paidos, which basically refers to any child up to the age of seven. After that, it sort of takes a, a, a diminutive form, pais, which generally refers to a, a young lad or a, or a maiden, sometimes even a slave child, but typically refers to children between seven and 14 years old. There's the word naphos, which generally refers to anybody who hasn't reached maturity. Anyone who is less than an adult, in other words. But Paul doesn't use any of those words. He uses a different word. He uses the word technos. Technos, which really speaks not so much of someone's age as much as it does their relationship. The fact that they are simply related to their parents. This is the same word back in chapter 5, verse 1, when he spoke to the congregation here of Ephesus and calls them uh, to, to, 
to be imitators of God as beloved children. Not implying any particular age for them, but simply saying that they're related to God as their father. In chapter 5, verse 8, he calls them children of light. Again, not speaking of their age, but simply their relationship. That they are related to God, they're related to His truth, they are therefore offspring of Him and His truth, His light. Now in this passage, of all the words he could have chosen, if he wanted to speak of small children, he could have, but he doesn't do that. He uses this very general word. Very general word, indicating that he's encompassing all of us. Even adult children. And it only makes sense because you remember that this all flows out of a primary command that he gave back in chapter 5, verse 18. That we do what? That we walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit, and the outcome of that being that we will be singing songs, we'll be giving thanks, and we'll be submitting in all the relationships to which we have been called to submit. Wives to husbands, husbands submitting to the Lord's design for their lives, and now He comes to children. And what He's saying is that this is the outcome of children who have been filled by the Spirit. So at the very least, Paul is addressing Children who are, first of all, old enough to believe, and secondly, responsible enough to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. This is important because inevitably, somewhere along the way, someone is going to reach the conclusion. They're going to declare at some point that they have reached an age where they no longer need to listen. They no longer need to obey the voice of their parents. It's no longer an obligation. They're going to, at some point, they're going to declare, well, I am 16. I'm 18. Don't you understand? I'm 21. I'm 25. I've moved out of the house. I've got an education. That no longer applies to me. Well, God's principle never expires, and you never outgrow your responsibility of honor and deference to your parents. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, in other words, no matter what your age, if you're going to be pleasing to God, no matter what your age, you have an obligation of honor and obedience to your parents. You want to know one of the ways that we know this? is very simply that the two other key places in the New Testament, outside of Ephesians and Colossians, parallel passage, the two other key places where the Old Testament principle, the Old Testament verse is quoted, honor your father and mother. It is in reference to adults. In fact, look with me at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. It's a passage where Jesus is caught in a sort of a controversy. And the controversy has to do with tradition that had been appended or added to God's law through the years as Scribes would copy the Word of God from one generation to the next, from one scroll to the next. They began a tradition of sometimes adding in the margins helpful notes to interpret, to understand. That eventually became a, a, uh, an appendix of all kinds of interpretations, which then essentially became authoritative for the Jew in their mind alongside the Word of God. It grew into this onerous tradition 
that added all kinds of things that in many ways either distracted or in some ways contradicted the word of God. And this is exactly what Jesus finds himself. The Pharisees and scribes come to him from Jerusalem and say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, this doesn't have to do with hygiene. They're not talking about, remember what your mom told you. You know, wash your hands before you eat. They're talking about religious tradition. They're talking about ritualism. They're talking about religious purity. This, of course, wasn't prescribed in the Old Testament. It was something that was added in order for people, for the Jews particularly, to flout their ritual, ritualistic purity. Well, Jesus confronts them with this, this idea, this, this uh, uh, reverence that they had for their own tradition, even above the Word of God. He answered them and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. Now, some of you know this verse. It's from your King James Bible. It uses the word Corban. The Hebrew word that would have been pronounced as a sort of vow over someone's possessions. At some point along the way in their life, they were allowed to pronounce a vow over what they owned and, and, and declaring the word Corban, they dedicated it to God. Now, here's the catch. They could do that at any point, but then they had plenty of time allowance before they finally delivered the goods to God. So, so the law had grown up that they could at any point in some vow make some de declaration that what they had belonged to God, but they could then wait until a more convenient time in order to hand over those possessions to God. In the meantime, the law or the tradition, I should say, of the Jews taught that if providence in some way took away the thing that you dedicated to God, then you were free from any kind of obligation. You know, you dedicated some lamb to God and lightning comes struck it. You're free. I mean, God took the lamb. Well, in the Jews, the way they interpreted this was they would dedicate something to God and they would wait years, years before they ever handed it over to God. And in the meantime, providence required that they use it to buy food, to do other things. And oops, guess what? It's gone. And yet all this traditional all this tradition, all of these, uh, all these rules, all these codes and everything allowed them to maintain their own self-interest, their own selfish pursuits, their own self-consumption, and yet violate the very commandment that God had, had obliged them to, to honor their father and mother. You see, you don't outgrow that command. You don't outgrow the fifth commandment. You never get to a point where you are somehow freed you're somehow freed from the obligation of honoring and listening to your parents. If you go to another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul addresses the need once again for children to honor their parents, once again also by meeting their financial needs. 1 Timothy 5 verse 3 Paul says, honor widows who are widows indeed. And in that particular sense, what he's primarily referring to is this financial obligation, this financial uh, uh, need of a widow. 
honoring them with financial support as well as honor in general. In verse 4, the next verse, he says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So here, once again, they have this obligation to their parents or even to their grandparents. Because what? Because it's pleasing to God. Because this is what God has ordained. You see, you don't outgrow this commandment. And this is what Paul's teaching us back in Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 6, excuse me. This is what Paul's teaching, that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is exactly what you will do. You will be submissive to your parents, you will honor your parents, you will obey your parents. The word here for obey in Ephesians 6.1 is hupa kuete. Takes the word hupo, which is under, and the word akuo, which is the word to hear, and basically gives the idea of listening under something. Placing yourself, in other words, under the counsel of someone. Having an attentive ear to their voice. It speaks really not just of outward conformity to rules, but it involves an attitude of reverence for the word and wisdom of your parents. And this is the kind of attitude that you should not outgrow. It doesn't end when you're 12. It doesn't end when you're 18. It doesn't end when you're 28. It doesn't end when you move out. It doesn't end when you marry. Now it changes. The Bible says that if a man is to marry, he's to leave his father and mother and cleave to his spouse. So there is a fundamental change that takes place as you grow old And especially as you marry, you don't necessarily cast off the old obligations, but priorities sometimes must change. As a married man or woman, sometimes you have primary concern, or you should, I should say, have primary concern now for your husband or for your wife, for the responsibility of your children. Your spouse becomes now your primary counselor above your parents. Your primary responsibility is to them. You grow into adulthood, you you take on obligations now to employers, you take on obligations to your government. And yet, in spite of all that, God never intended for parental bonds to die. That even with all those obligations, God has never intended you to forsake the due honor to your parents. In fact, Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave your life And do not despise your mother when she is old. This doesn't doesn't have any respect to age. You never outgrow the fifth commandment. You never grow beyond the point where God expects you to show honor and to show even a deferential attitude, one that wants to obey your parents. You're not to cast aside their instruction. You're not to cast aside their counsel. You're not to cast aside their advice no matter how old you are or they are. So the first thing we need to realize as we come to this chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, is that it encompasses all of us. doesn't matter how old you are sitting and listening this morning. You have an obligation. An obligation to listen carefully 
to the counsel of your parents. Secondly, secondly, Paul teaches us here that as we listen to this commandment, we need to realize it acknowledges what's right. It encompasses all of us, but it also acknowledges what's right. That's Paul's admonition, right? At the end of verse 1, we need to do this because it is right. And when he says that, what he's talking about is in a general sense. It's universally recognized. Every civilization, every people, every culture, every religion. All of them have established rules of decorum and etiquette when it comes to your relationship to your parents. Paul will eventually get around to dealing with the biblical principle in the next verse. But before he does that, his most basic appeal here is to the general decency of your obligation to your parents. It is right. In fact, it's the violation of this principle that characterizes the most base forms of depravity. When a society or when a culture no longer emphasizes this aspect, when they fall, fail to follow this instruction, when they no longer recognize the instinctive sense to honor the ones who are your parents, they cast themselves off in a sea, a drift towards self-destruction. Paul, you remember, describes this kind of society in Romans chapter 1. A society that had lost its basic moorings. It's fundamental sense of right and wrong. He says in verse 8 of Romans 1, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He's not talking about simple disobedience to the Word of God now. He's talking about an abandonment of basic moral decency. Things that no longer are, uh, are, things are done that no longer, excuse me, things are done which ought not to be done. He goes on, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. So, so this society, which has set aside basic decency, a basic sense of right and wrong, have, along with that, cast aside a basic sense of honor and obedience to parents. That is among the casualties. It's one of the prime evidences of depravity in a society or in a person. It's exactly what Paul says the last days will be characterized by. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, you understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. So this is this, this is what basically defines a depraved culture. A culture that has lost its most fundamental sense of right and wrong. It's sad to read that, realizing that so many of those things define our culture today. Pride, arrogance, love of self, love of money, ungrateful. And again, one of the chief marks of a culture and society that's lost its moral compass is an attitude of disrespect and disobedience to parents. You don't even have to look hard to see it. Ever since 1979 in Minnesota, a court decision which set precedent 
for the fact that a child can divorce his parents with legal backing. I read recently about a girl who sued her dad, who sued her dad at 12 years old because he grounded her. Now he grounded her with this onerous consideration that she was spending too much time on the internet. And he asked her to stop and she wouldn't. So he told her she couldn't go to the school trip. What she does is she takes him to court, she sues him and wins. On appeal though, she's confirmed. She won a second time. Left now simply to the Supreme Court, the High Court, to decide the matter if it makes it that far. Society is coming alongside children to affirm them in their fundamental disregard for what is decent and right. If you have any doubt, just turn on a cartoon or a sitcom these days and notice daily the examples of parents who are presented as dim-witted, inept superiors and children who are presented as the keen and insightful navigators of life's difficulties. And on average, on average, kids are exposed to that 30 hours a week. Society has made up its mind to promote a general sense of rebellion against all authority, and particularly authority of parents. When a society does that, when it decides to push and pursue people to unbridled freedom as early as they possibly can, that common sense of decency is thrown out the window. A failure to recognize that you owe your life to your parents. Not just in its generation, not just in its initiation, but you owe your fundamental life. They are the ones who pulled you away from falling in a pit and snatched you from running across a busy highway. They're the ones who nursed you when you were struck down with early diseases. The ones who nourished you and fed you and provided for you. There's a fundamental, fundamental moral sense to know that this is right. That you would show some sort of decent respect for the ones who have so nurtured you. On top of that, you owe not only your life, but your health, your education, and so much of what you are, you owe to their sacrifices. Failure to recognize that. A failure to recognize that among all the people in the world, the ones who would have your best interest at heart are not your friends, not your peers, not the producers of your favorite show, but your parents. So Paul says, look, at a very fundamental level, at a very fundamental le level, listening to your parents is right. It's decent. It's proper. It's honorable. And everyone with a basic sense of right and wrong ought to see it. Thirdly, we need to realize the command of obedience to parents. It embraces God's order. It embraces God's order. Paul sort of now goes beyond that moral decency and now he adds the biblical mandate quoting for us from the Ten Commandments in verse 2 to substantiate his principle he quotes Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and mother. It's the fifth commandment in the Decalogue, the fifth commandment out of the ten. It's interesting to me that it is the fifth. 
and not the sixth, not the seventh, not the eighth or ninth or tenth. Because you recognize that the Ten Commandments can be broken, if you will, into two tables. Four of them that deal with your relationship to God. You shall not have other gods before me. You shall not have graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath unto the Lord. Four of them dedicated to God. And then six of them that deal with relationship to others. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. But you know, at the top of that list... The very first one that God gave in his list is this one that speaks about your relationship to your parents. The first one. God puts a very, very high priority on this. He sets it there prominently. How you relate to your parents ranks high. He puts it amazingly in the Ten Commandments, right there with murder and with theft, all those things. As a matter of fact, a violation of this in the Old, in the Old Testament was punishable by death. I wonder how the spanking police would respond to that. All of this affirms the importance of this in the Lord's eyes because He has established authority. Romans 13, all authority has been established by God and is there for your good, for your benefit. And right along with that is the authority of your parents. God has established it. It doesn't mean that they're always perfect. It doesn't mean that they're without their flaws. It doesn't mean that their judgment is always right. Some of us have had less honorable parents than others, right? That's never addressed in any of this. You're not supposed to submit to your parents because they're perfect or because they're right. You're submitting to them because God has commanded you to. In fact, some of your Bibles there in verse 1 have that phrase, children obey your parents in the Lord. There's some dispute about whether or not it is even in the original text. It might have been some, something added by some well-meaning scribe along the way, but it certainly captures the biblical perspective. That you are doing this in the Lord or to the Lord. In fact, Colossians 3, the parallel passage says, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You do it because it pleases Him. Not because your parents are always right. Not because they're always worthy of that honor. Thankfully, the Lord hasn't straddled parents with such a burden. We recognize, believe me, how, how basically we have forfeited honor in some situations we have not judged correctly we've made our own mistakes and yet God's word stands we render honor and respect to our parents out of love and adoration to the Lord we want to do what pleases him we recognize it's God who's established them over us and so we give them Honor. A word in the Hebrew, kabod, literally is a word for weight. We give them more weight than everyone else. We listen to them 
more closely than everyone else. We take their counsel and their words with more weight than everyone else. We honor them. This really goes beyond the surface of simply obeying them. It involves, as I said earlier, attitudes. It involves actions not only directly with them, but even actions when they're away. Calvin says, quote, It follows from this that we are forbidden to detract from their dignity, either by contempt, by stubbornness, or by ungratefulness. Kent Hughes has a great summary, I think, of what this is all about. He says, along with respect and obedience, he says, honoring parents implies consideration. Namely, he says, remembering them, taking time to be with them, including them, doing them acts of kindness. This is what honor means. It involves making provision for them, he says, as we saw in 1 Timothy 5 and Matthew 15. It involves, just as importantly, he says, bringing honor to your parents by your own character and reputation. In other words, honoring your parents isn't just listening to what they tell you directly, but it's living a life away from them when they're not watching. That's what Proverbs teaches, right? Proverbs 23, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. So don't fool yourself that somehow you're walking in a way that pleases God. When your only, uh, your only intention is to please your parents when they're watching. Because you could just as well dishonor them by the reputation and the character that you show in the community. Upright children, children with a good reputation, bring honor to their parents. They bring joy, they bring satisfaction, and all of that is wrapped up in the fifth commandment. Well, finally, there in Ephesians 6, we need to recognize that along with the decency of this, along with the, the biblical mandate of this, along with the all-encompassing nature of this, we need to recognize, fourthly, that this commandment receives the blessing of God. Obedience to this, obedience to parents, receives God's blessing. It's Paul's final point of motivation in verse 3 in regard to our relationship with our parents. It's the blessing that is promised with this. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment, he says, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. A lot of debate about what this means. It's the first commandment. Some people say, well, it's the first one you teach to children. It's the first one they learn, which certainly has an element of truth to it. I can't say that it is more important than the, the real first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Some people say it's, it's the first on that second list of, of ten commandments. That would be, I think, a stretch for the context, the context and the meaning of this word. No indication that Israel ever formally broke the ten commandments into two tables. I think it's just very simple that this is the first and only commandment that came with a specific promise. All, all of God's commandments have promises, right? Even before he gave the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 4, he says in Deuteronomy, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 5, he says in Deuteronomy 4 that if you keep his commandments, it, all, it will go well with you. 
All of them, they bring blessing to some extent. But this one specifically, this fifth commandment, God appended a unique and specific promise that isn't given to any of the others. Honor your father and mother, he says, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now that has a specific national sense. The land he's talking about is the promised land. The land he was taking them into after they wandered in the desert where he gave gave them the Ten Commandments. He's giving them a specific national promise that I'm going to give you this promised land. And if you obey this commandment, it will prolong your prosperity and your, and your uh, 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 residence in this land. But listen, this isn't just a national sense. This promise doesn't have just the national sense. This has, it has also a, a natural sense. God's Word promises in general that obedience and respect and honor to parents goes hand in hand with temporal blessings in life. Obviously, that doesn't always mean a piece of property. God's not saying if you obey your parents, He's going to give you a piece of property like He gave to Israel. In fact, we recognize there are exceptions. That this isn't a guaranteed promise of anything. There are those who have lived lives of respect and honor to their parents. They lived, they've lived reputable lives before the community. And still, tragically, their lives are cut short. This isn't a blanket guarantee for a long life. Or material prosperity. But Paul is... What Paul's doing is demonstrating a principle. That in general, those who learn to honor their parents. Are those who learn some of the most important lessons of life. While they're at home. They adjust well in other words. To society. One commentator said it this way. They develop a strength of character. That diffuses grace and prosperity. To all. And what the Old Testament was teaching. Was that children who do this. Will become a sort of national treasure. To Israel. They will propound blessings. To Israel. To extend their stay. In the land. And even today, children who abide by this principle, who learn this principle, they are tomorrow's leaders. They're tomorrow's teachers, they're tomorrow's preachers, they're tomorrow's pioneers, they're tomorrow's executives, tomorrow's politicians. There they are in God's greenhouse. It was intended for the development of everything they need to know in order to function well in society. It's by learning obedience to parents that children hone the principles of restraint and sobriety and industry and decorum. All those things that will carry them successfully through life. And in general, those who reject the rule and the counsel, the administration of their parents, they suffer the consequences down the road. And all around us, the counseling offices... The hospitals are riddled with those who've suffered the consequences. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, physically even. They've rejected their parents. They've had some 
falling out of some sort and they've developed all sorts of complexes and phobias, emotionally devastated relationships that are destructive, habits that are destructive, desires that plunge them into despair. All those things are so often going hand in hand with the rejection of parental oversight and the rejection of their obligation to honor their parents. They're the result of a rebellious heart that somewhere along the way went unchecked by the natural preparation and protection that parental control and administration is supposed to give them. See, we were born with a natural tendency to selfishness. We were born with a natural desire to buck against all superiority and to place ourselves above others. Our sinful flesh wants to drive against all those things, but in God's grace and wisdom, He's provided parental authority as a place in which we can curb the sinful tendencies of our own heart and channel them in a direction that's productive. We can do all that in an environment that is naturally focused on our well-being and is ready to be graceful and forgiving with us. Before we ever learn, in other words, to go out and submit to a boss and to do a good job and to bring it to completion, before we ever go out and have to have responsibility to governments or whatever it might be, we learn all of those same principles in the warm and safe environment of of our parents' love. John Calvin says, quote, God could thus more easily soften and bend our minds to the habit of submission. By that subjection, which is easiest to tolerate, the Lord therefore gradually accustoms us to all lawful subjection, end quote. In other words, you're going to have to learn this somewhere. You're either going to learn this or you're going to ruin yourself. And God has graciously provided you with a father and a mother who want the best for you. They want the best for you. They've sacrificed, they've given, they've prayed, they've agonized. They've spent time. And all these things, God is simply asking you to submit and obey. That in honor and obedience to your parents, you do these things and the promise is you propound blessings back to yourself in your own life, in your own character. This is simply what the Bible teaches in other places over in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, the same principle, verse 1, it says... uh, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. They're going to add blessing to your life. Obedience, honor, submission to your parents is going to add blessing to your life. Proverbs 4, verse 10, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Listen, you need to understand that when God gives you this commandment, when God asks this of you, if He asks it of you when you're 8, if He asks it of you when you're 18, 
He's asking it of you because it is for your good. And it comes with a blessing. It comes with a promised blessing. Honor your parents. Place yourself under their counsel. Continually, continually come back to them. Include them. Love them. Do them acts of kindness. You do that. And the Lord has promised not only the natural blessings that come with the kind of character that builds, but His divine blessing. That He will have His hand on you because you do what pleases Him. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, indeed, there is so much for us still to learn. Many of us who've walked now decades in this life, still we come under your commandments. and We see our need to repent. We see our need to grow. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as a congregation, as individual brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would have a reputation that honors our parents, that we would live lives that bring to them joy and satisfaction. But then as a part of that, there will be a continual ear to their counsel, to their wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would grow in this church from small children to teenagers to young adults to parents ourselves, but never, never outgrow your command that we would always be those who walk in a way that pleases you. Lord, may you do that. And in doing that, may you fill us by your spirit so that we can fulfill all you've asked of us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.